Angie, but you are better at your fair share of, you get more of your fair share of younger docs in recruitment than many people do. And I think part of the reason for that is accessibility. And I think MRSI is just a megaphone of accessibility. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a gift. I've been very blessed to have been uh, given this opportunity Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today, I talk with Dr. Angeline Beltsos about what it's like to start a meeting in the field. Hers is the Midwest Reproductive Symposium, what that entrepreneurial venture is like, and the benefits that come from that collegiality and from the networking that allow people to do business. Before I get into this topic with Dr. Beltsos, today's shout out goes to Hannah Johnson, my friend who's the chief strategy officer at Bios. We're speaking together at MRS, so she gets this shout out. Hopefully she hears it. In today's interview with Dr. Beltsos, we go down a thread of the multi-generational value that happens from colleagues mingling with each other, learning from different generations and the principles that that takes into leadership, in leading as an executive, and also following by learning from the next generation. This turned into be a lot more philosophical than I was necessarily thinking, but we talk about the short-term benefits, like recruiting docs. It's going to be a lot easier for you to recruit doctors and staff doing some of these principles, but also the longer-term, headier stuff of being culturally relevant well into old age. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Dr. Angeline Beltzos. Dr. Beltzos, Angie, welcome back to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. The first time you were on, we talked about your entrepreneurial tendencies. We're going to talk about those same tendencies today, but applied mm-hmm. to a different venture. Last time we talked about the Vios Empire, what it was like to start a group. But this time I want to talk about a different venture that you started even before Vios, as far as I remember. And that is the Midwest Reproductive Symposium. That is an in-person, now a hybrid in-person and virtual meeting, but it had been in person for years. And I want to talk about how that got started and what possessed you to do it. So let's start with what possessed you to do it. (laughs) Well, I had just started my career after fellowship. It had been a few years and fairing pharmaceuticals. One of the reps came and said, why don't we do a meeting in Chicago We had the ASRM meeting, of course, the national meeting. And in California, we have the Pacific Coast Fertility Society. And they said, why don't you do a meeting in the Midwest? And we can call it the Midwest Reproductive Symposium, the Mrs. Meeting. 
And here we are uh, several years later. <laughs> but why did you want to do it? I mean, so, reps probably come to you with half-baked ideas all the time. I've come to you with half-baked ideas before. So you could turn around, turn away or launch into any of them, I suppose. But why did this one seem good enough to you? It seemed like filling a void. Although a lot of people go to a big meeting like the ASRM meeting or ESHRAE with thousands of people and we get to see all our friends and and learn the latest. It's also ironic that when you're in a big meeting, sometimes you don't get as much out of it. You don't get to actually speak with some of the thought leaders and make new friends. And so the idea of having some of the thought leaders, not only in Chicago, because we called it the Midwest meeting, but it was actually the place where it was held, not where all the attendees came from. And we had immediately a national attendance and, and really some of the thought leaders in the world. It's an intimate setting, one in which we do have it at the Drake Hotel where we have probably a max of around four or 500 attendees. With that though, you, you have a certain vibe that comes with that. There's a lot of opportunity to not only learn science, which is very important and be motivated to take some of that back home, really to change how people practice fertility and, and keep it modern and fresh and forward thinking, but also to make uh, friends and colleagues that last, not only for that meeting, but for a lifetime. So when they came up with it, that was sort of our thought, be relevant. Yeah. And you're right. People do come from all over. That's a nice thing about it being in Chicago is it's kind of easy to get to Chicago yeah. from anywhere. If you're in the U.S., Chicago is central. And then if you're not in the U.S., well, it's only an hour or two more for you probably than it would be any of the other major cities at most. So it's yeah. a really central place. You got people from all over. But at what point did you realize that this was going to be you taking it on. Did you know that from the beginning or were you thinking that, okay, Farron, go ahead and do this. I'll come and be the token REI and, and no, say hello. What what point did you it, realize that, that this was your baby? T minus six to nine months. When the whole thing started, it was going to be something that I organized um, with the, you know, some of the faculty that was with us and some of my colleagues, but they were like, all right, you're in charge of this, go at it. So we, I went around, I was like, who's really a heavy hitter today? And who are some of the thought leaders in the United States? And they were like, well, call them all up, see if they'll speak. So one by one, I called each person and everybody said yes, which was really surprising. I was like, hi, I'm Angie. Do you want to speak at my meeting? They're like, sure. Hold on a second. I was like, hey, Richard Scott, will you speak at my meeting? They're like, one moment, please. This is Richard. Like, will you speak? <laughs> He's like, yes, I will. I'm like, oh, okay. Bill Schoolcraft, will you speak at my meeting? Yes, I will. I was like, okay, then see you in June. <laughs> so this was 2003. That was the first year. This was, I guess it was 03, huh? That's what the website tells me. That's before my time here. So I'm going <laughs> to take the website for its word. Now, at what point did you start to build 
like committees and have recurring people in the beginning it's like okay i'll call the people i know and ask them to be speakers how did that turn into like you have other people planning specific parts of of it yeah you know it's a great question we started with a meeting planner and me and then she said well why don't you ask you know some of your friends and colleagues who they think would be really important and relevant so there was sort of this informal committee that she and I talked about and and organized and she guided me for the first five years. Fearing was exclusive as a sponsor and they were, you know, an, an unrestricted educational grant. So they weren't really involved in the topics at all. And, you know, very much saying, find the best speakers, the best topics. So really high quality, I think, uh, things that were coming out as new things to consider doing in, in our field. And we, ha- we had a blast. But over time, I would say the first year we had some of the speakers like Barry Bear and Bill Kearns, they said, why don't you ask them to be part of your committee? So we were about three or four people in the first several years that started to help think through this. And then the people that were involved also came up with great ideas. They said, well, why don't the nurses don't have anywhere to go? Why don't you have a nurse program here? So we started the nurse practicum. And then a lot of the business minds in industry said, you don't have really anywhere for business people to meet. Why don't you do a business program? So we came up with the business minds. And this one person was really interested in mental health and said, there's no place for mental health in any of these programs. Please, 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 can we add it in? So we started the mental health program and we thought there's no better place. If you've got all these incredible people together, why not have some of the students of fertility? So we added in the reproductive endocrinology and infertility, the REI fellows program, and they've been a strong part presenting their research and, and getting to know them. And it's funny because in the beginning, the students are, they're learning, but then soon the student becomes the master. So how do you get some of these people to keep coming back and chairing their specific segments? Because some of the people you've had for years and years. So how do you keep reeling them back in? I think that when you want something to be sticky in your life and you want to keep people engaged, it can't just be about black and white things. There's some very important things about a meeting and not only what you're saying, not only what you're doing, but how you make people feel like the Maya Angelou quote. And I think that that becomes very, very important. So we are so intentional to make sure that people like Griffin Jones, when they come to the meeting, yeah, you learned a lot, you made some new connections, but you also uh, had a blast, hopefully, and music and time to socialize is very, very intentional. People um, often say, oh, well, you know, why do you have all that in, in the meeting? But it's so important to make people feel good about coming back. I think it's one of the things that binds all of that together. Like you said, there's a fellows 
track. There's a business minds program. There's a nurse practicum. There's for program for doctors and scientists and the size of MRS and the social events bring it all together. It's a very good place to build relationships. I, I love ASRM. You can get more business done in four <laughs> days of ASRM than you can four months on the phone in many instances. And that's, <laughs> that's true for almost everybody across the field, but there's something about MRS where it is very good for building relationships. When I think to some of the strongest relationships that I have with docs and with other people across the field, it started there in Chicago. And I think it is this, it is because you can go to one of the mental health talks and then you can jump over to another track if you want a lot of people do the same track the whole day but there are there is so much programming for everyone and then it's all tied in at the end of the day and chicago in in june when it normally isn't fantastic this year it's going to be september which is the other end of fantastic for for chicago weather there's a reason why you're not having it in june so let's talk a little bit about the changes that you saw once COVID happened. I mean, I imagine in early March, you were kind of like everybody else. Oh, this, this isn't going to affect us. It's too far off. And then two days later, you're like, no, it's definitely going to affect this one and the next one. What was that like adjusting for COVID? I think like we were at Vios, sometimes it's good to be lucky. And we had thought very, very importantly about being nimble, being able to switch gears and pivot quickly. So when all of this started to unfold, we didn't know if it was going to be two days, two weeks, two years, you know, sitting here talking to patient by patient. But for the meeting, we also felt it was going to be very important to be relevant and to continue. So we were the first meeting to go in the fertility world to go um, into a virtual setting, and we just said pivot and go. So we did our our meeting in June uh, by Zoom or by video conferencing, and it worked out beautifully, all things considered. We had great attendance and really used our program that we had anticipated, and you used pieces of it. You can only uh, get so much done that is video sitting at your desk compared to being in person. So what we did is broke it into three parts and divided the typical conference into three parts of the year. The first one was during the meeting itself, but just not at the Drake and then play that out through the year. So I think our sponsors really supported us as well to say, just go at it and continue to use our funds to produce this meeting and do it virtual. So we did all of that for 2020. We did the whole program. What's it going to be like this year in 2021? And this year, the date of our usual program that, like you said, is usually in June, we are going to do virtual just the board review course which is going to be amazing. It'll be June 11th through the 13th, all virtual, but this is going to help people that are students, um, medical students, residents, but particularly the fellows who are preparing to become board certified. And during that program, we'll be diving really deep into the science and our real program for the Midwest Reproductive Symposium International 2021 will be in person September 21st 
through the 24th. We will have also a virtual component to it. So it will be hybrid and we're really excited about that as well. What do you think should be virtual as as we move beyond COVID, as we move beyond like the the forced shutdowns? Right. What what should be virtual moving forward 2022 and beyond and what should be in person 2022 and beyond? Yeah, that's a great question. We were talking with some of our brilliant board members. And like you said, our what started as our small uh, group has now turned into really amazing people that are part of our organization. And we talked that we wanted international component with Scott Nelson. He's our international board member who is at the University of Glasgow in Scotland, but we have board members from coast to coast. And what we realize is that in different locations and different time zones in private practice and academics, you have to now have this virtual component because people may not be able to attend, but they want to hear key lectures. So there's going to be a a couple of different options. One are just being able to get like a little appetizer, some key lectures. And then there's also the ability to watch the whole thing from around the world. And we expect that we'll have people from different continents participating now. And I think that's what's really cool about it. But like everything else, there's nothing that people don't enjoy more than being able to see each other now, having some coffee together, cocktails, you know, and like you said, building up relationships in person. So that's also going to be available. And I think that hybrid approach will be what we do with our patients. It's what you're going to see in business going forward, as well as these meetings. Do you ever see the hybrid programming shifting so that certain programs are all digital and then certain programs are all in person? I think what there is in in life, there is about 80, 75, 80% that you can communicate through an entire digital approach. And that includes some of the relationships we have. And then the water cooler kind of effect or the in-person contact will be missed if 100% of it is done digitally. So I think you can get a lot accomplished with the video conferencing, but I think that doing everything 100% video, you will also miss some important things that happen when the cameras shut off. I think so too. I wrote an article about this right as everything was shutting down. I wrote it in March, 2020. It was like, as soon as they canceled PCRS, I fired it out. And it was an article about what I think should be in person, what I think should be video. Cause our company has been remote since you've known me, we've always been remote, but I will tell you it hurt even in COVID not being able to get together, even though my project managers in Memphis, my operations managers in Nashville, my digital strategists in Colorado, my account managers in Miami, everyone's everywhere. But we still normally get together a couple days a year in person to do the stuff that we need to do in person, which is the major long vision strategy and the the personal bonding, all of the execution we can do over video. So I wrote in that article, this is what I think should be in person 
this is what I think should be uh, done video. I think a lot of the speaker stuff in the future can be done via video. I think the in-person workshopping and, and the networking is what the in-person meetings have to offer. So why don't we just start building those programs around that way? What do you expect to see this year in, in 2021, knowing that it's kind, people have kind of gotten the habit of, oh, I can do it from Zoom, but they've also, yeah. they're also kind of starving though. So what do you expect to see this year? Well, we hope that some people will be able to come from around the world and participate via Zoom and via video conferencing. So I'm very excited about that. And I think that some of the key lectures, you can present that on a on a screen, but I think the dialogue that happens back and forth and seeing the audience in person is is also priceless. We do workshops, which I think is also unique, where we break the whole audience into groups that dialogue into kind of a small group, uh, round table kind of discussion on different topics. And I think that would be very, you know, better done. I think those kinds of things could be better done in person. So those types of things, I see that as the future of, of in-person events. And I sometimes think that events like yours are better poised than some of the larger ones for that reason, because it's kind of built for that. It's built for that in-person, that, that in-person type of relationship building. Yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent pro zoom pro doing anything that can be done electronically, electronically fertility bridge has never had a home office. That said, I also don't think I ever would have built the relationships that I did had it not been getting to meet in person. Even if I, sometimes there's lots of relationships that I had digitally first, but then right. I meet them in Chicago. I meet them at MRS and that puts a certain icing on the cake that is irreplaceable. Yeah irreplaceable. There's a great book called The Art of Gathering uh, by Priya Parker. Uh, That was a gift from Hannah Johnson. And it's how we meet and why it matters. It's a great book for those of you listening who do care about meetings and how we meet and and whether it's your family, uh, whether it's your business, whether it's a big conference, it really is important to consider the elements that allow it to be successful and how you want that flavor to be what you want to accomplish. And I really appreciate you, Griffin, inviting me to talk about our meeting, but what the elements are. I think that intimacy is very important and people start to become more open in certain size groups and numbers. So there are certain things we accomplish in the big symposium and there are things that you get out of it by being able to speak and dialogue with your colleagues. Howard Jones, God rest his soul, had said some really important things to me about the MRSI meeting. And for those listening, he was one of the fathers of IVF in the United States. He had the 13th IVF baby, born in the world, but he, he was saying that when you have a meeting, make sure that most of the meeting is your Q&A and talking. Let the audience talk to each other. Don't spit out all these lectures. And, you know, we invite these 
and brilliant people to give lectures with 75 slides in 20 minutes. But they really, you know, that that idea of throwing out the topic, the latest in it, its points of what's relevant, and then let people talk about it. And that's when you really take things home. And you have the opportunity to do that, especially as a breakout speaker at MRS. People always come up to me after MRS <laughs> specifically. And it's great too, because if I need to talk to one person, cause they got to me first, it's like, Hey, I can see you at the cocktail hour later. They don't just, they can't just, they don't just lose me in the ether. And that's, that's, Maybe that's, that's really the genesis powerful. qua of, of MRS. Cause I'm saying, I, I love PCRS. I love CFAS. And those two are smaller meetings that are very collegial and I really like them. And I'm thinking, what is the genesis qua of MRS? And I, I think it's partly Chicago. I think it's partly you, Angie. And I think it is the multidisciplinary focus, which isn't is true for the other meetings, meeting the size, meeting the social events. And I was talking with one of my employees today who's really advancing in their career. And I said to them, part of being a senior person is even when you're in your role, you know how you play into the rest of the picture. So I think even if you're a, a mental health professional and that's your thing, knowing what the doctors and scientists are up to right now is really important. Even if you're a doctor, knowing what the nurses are up to right now is really important. Even if you're a nursing manager, knowing what the business minds are up to right now is really important. So I hope that you continue that streak at MRS as it evolves. Well, I appreciate that. And I think the other piece of of all this is we try to play a lot of music during our meeting before, during, and after. And when we talk about je ne sais quoi, you know, what makes things attractive is that people learn really well if you activate both sides of the brain, the right and left. And there's a lot of scientific studies, how important music is. So, you know, we start the music in the very beginning between every speaker and it activates that side of that art side of the brain, the, the other relaxing side, but then you throw in some hardcore science and it's supposed to really help with feeling really good about things and having fun, but also learning. I would be a bad fertility doctor because I only want to take on the cases that I know are going to be successful. I only want people to say these sorts of things about me and my company, like Greg in Chicago. Our resources um, are not endless. And I think that with Fertility Bridge, um, there's a much deeper dive. Or Dr. Young in Iowa. I've gotten more positive feedback from patients from anything in the last 30 years of practice. We're Brad in Seattle. You have uh, multiple experts on your team and for you know a very small price to get that level of, of uh, consulting for just, just a, a couple hours uh, would be really valuable. Okay, you get the idea. So this is how we set you up so you are 100% guaranteed to be successful in your goal over time. It's not a magic wand. Until you do this, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and definitely do not get in any long-term commitments or launch initiatives. You sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic at fertilitybridge.com. You fill out your business needs profile. We establish your benchmarks and desired outcomes. 
Then we meet for our 90-minute consult. We provide you with business intel, revenue estimates, and a competitive overview of the field to facilitate the prioritization of your goals between your partners and leadership team. Then we have a 30-minute follow-up. We tell you exactly what you need to audit and strategize to build your plan. I'll also give you one big marketing idea that will make you say, damn, that's good. If we fail to do any of these things, we give you your money back because it's only $5.97 and because I need you to be successful because I need you to say all those really sweet things about me and my company. Maybe even a gem like this one from Holly and Dr. Hutchison from Arizona. If we didn't have Fertility Bridge, honestly, I think we would be getting close to retiring. There's no long-term commitment whatsoever and there's a 100% money back guarantee. Send your manager to fertilitybridge.com, have them sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic, and I will see you and your partners on Zoom. So now that it's established and now that you also have an established practice group, what do you think you get out of it? This has, uh, it's a really great personal question for me. It changed my whole stratosphere my the the course of my my career it it changed the whole direction of who i am and how i practice medicine who i talk to in a moment i wasn't doing you know i was just one of a new grad of doctors in the in the country and suddenly i was friends with the thought leaders and from there, you get invited to give a lecture in Canada, and then you meet, go end up in Europe. And in Europe, I met people from Australia, the president of a, uh, the Australian fertility. And then all of a sudden you're in, I was in Australia giving lectures and from Australia, I met someone and I was in China. So I literally went from being this little Chicago doctor organizing a meeting and through it, I became, I made friends with people all over the world, people that showed me the backside of the kitchen. You know, you go to these great speakers the, and they take you home and they invite you into their world and they teach you how to run your business and things to do and mistakes they made. So this, out of all the things in my career, as far as fertility goes, this hands down changed the whole course of my life. It's funny because you're talking about the history of you getting plugged into other people through this. My experience is you plugging in other people through this, like myself included. But I think mm -hmm. of, you know, not to blow up your spot, Angie, but you are better at your fair share of you get more of your fair share of younger docs in recruitment than many people do. And I think part of the reason for that is accessibility. And I think MRSI is just a megaphone of accessibility. Yeah, it's been a it's been a gift. I've been very blessed to have been uh, given this opportunity to fund. I mean, the the money that came through to to organize had to be properly you know, managed. And, and through that, you create a, hopefully a platform and the younger people that participated as fellows have become friends of mine. And, and some of them have joined Vios and some have been, you know, colleagues in the country and in the city. And it's been, it's been awesome. So I think that 
was correct too, that we've had a chance to, to make new friends in, in a variety of age groups, not just the older genre of, of thought leaders and people that invented what we do, including Louise Brown, the product of, of thought leaders, but also the younger group that we've become, had that opportunity to get to know. So you're right. It's been, it's been a gift. Well, let's stay on this thread of cultural relevance for a second, because I'm obsessed with it. I stay up thinking about how I'm going to be culturally relevant when I'm 88 years old. It's something that I really obsess with. It's like longevity meets sustainability meets just something I intrinsically really enjoy. And I see some of the advantages playing out for you. And I think that might be a gateway drug for the people that might not just geek out on it as much as I do, but if they can or see, I do. Yeah. Or yeah, you are the perfect case in point. So but if they can see the tangible benefits of what you've done, I think so many people are having a hard time recruiting doctors right now, recruiting younger staff. And one of the ways that you've been able to do that is you give fellows a platform. You they always they know that they can call you. They know who you are. That's really important. They see you in content. And so maybe we can extend some of this to other people. They're not going to go off and start their own meeting because it's way too much freaking work. But even if they were a chair at, for one of your programs, even if they were a speaker at Armour, that's more accessibility. So maybe we could just talk about how that accessibility to the younger generation helps you stay relevant to them as they start to take over the reins. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating topic of cultural relevance. You know, it's like a moment ago, sick was kind of a bad thing, but you know, that is so sick. Really? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I guess it's a really cool thing. And in a moment you become, you know, all of a sudden the words people use and, and the way that they approach life, but you're, you've got to be a little willing to always change. And human nature is the opposite of that. Don't get stuck in, you know, your old ways. L try to learn, try to be a chair and take that stuff home and be a little uncomfortable. I think that's really important. Remember that when we lead the group, that we have to have humility and we have to be part of the group and let the group also have opinions and decision-making and feel valued and appreciated. And it is a very delicate balance, isn't it? Tell me more about that balance. What makes it so delicate? Because as the leader of an organization, you may be the medical director, some of the audience members, they might be trying to hire or keep, you know, these young, vibrant physicians. And they're going to be people that come and go for a variety of reasons. But we have to look in the mirror. We have to be accessible. We have to be a teacher and a student. That dichotomy has to exist. You have to be a leader and you have to be allow the others to lead you. And so there there's this 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 balancing act and your people in your life will be your witness good bad or ugly and they're going to talk and social media today is just like our customers they're they're talking about us they're 
explaining, you know, the day-to-day activity. And so you have to listen to people's dreams and their aspirations and support them. And we're not perfect at it, God knows, but there, there is intent there. And you have to figure out what you believe in and how you're going to do this. You know, the MRS is a charity to me. And Nelson Mandela says the most powerful way to change the world is education. And so many people helped us get to where we're at and I cannot repay them. You know, the people that believed in me and gave me a chance, those, I can't give them money. I can't give them something to help them do what they did for me. The only thing I can do is turn and give forward, right? So we give to the to the next generation, the next people, and the people that are attending to provide the best care to people that want to have a family. If you just go back to your mission of what, why do you exist? Why do you do what you do? Trying to create a team around you and that cultural relevance is, is always to, to be open-minded, I think, and open your heart and your mind, be accessible. And I think, you know, wanting to listen and be friends with people from all different walks of life. I'm going to push back on one thing you said, of course, like I'm just, I'm just like riding the lightning of 90% and I choose the one thing that I'm going to push back on. But the the one thing that you said is, that I can't pay them back. And for some of them, that's probably true. Maybe some of them are gone or some of them, you just won't have something to offer that they need in the rest of their careers or lives. But I think many of them, you are in a position to pay back that those that helped you get to where you are now, they're some of them maybe being put out to pasture. Oh, we've heard from him. We got it. We don't, we don't need his ideas anymore. And you're in a position now to say, no, I really remember this person helping me out. I'm going to give them a platform. I'm going to help them maintain their cultural relevance because they helped me and they are still relevant to me. So I I see that happening. And I see that as like, I remember the people that put me on in the beginning. And now that my cohort is, we're not in our early twenties anymore, Angie, now that we're in our mid thirties, late thirties, and we're starting to be the executives and at, at the very least the director level and the owners of companies, the people that it's not just returning a favor either. It's, Hey, I learned a lot from this person and I think they still have that value to, to teach. I think you can repay some of them. Yep. You know, I think about the opportunities that we got at all levels. I remember the person who gave me a scholarship to college, you know, the, like you said, being, being thoughtful about that. And reciprocating can be very powerful all the way to someone who spoke at my meeting and gave me knowledge that helped me hopefully get one more person pregnant that I tried something new and different and being grateful to them and honoring them is is really important. This is so meta because the topic that I'm speaking about at MRS this year is how to manage millennials and Gen Z in the workforce. And it's so meta because at least some of what I've learned has been through interactions at MRS. And you're talking about this balance of leadership and following. I'm not a new agey person that says, oh, just listen, just listen and do whatever they say. No, at the end of the day, leaders lead, but leaders lead based on information that they see and they get that information by asking and interacting. MRS is an awesome place to do it. 
And a good exercise that I do every year is it started with your kids, Angie, one, because I just think your kids and their friends are really well raised. And anyone that wants to talk trash on how kids are raised the other day, listen, most of the time I might even agree with them, but there's always examples to the contrary. And that's your kids and their friends. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. Looking people in the eye, taking ownership of whatever they're supposed to be doing there. You, you put them to work there at the conference and they're doing work. And I love taking your kids and their friends and whoever the interns are out to lunch every year. That's a tradition. I started a couple years ago and uh, if they're there, I'm going to do it again. Well, I enjoy it too, though, Angie, like I, I just watch them. I watch, I watch what they go out. Like I watch what they go out on the dance floor too, versus what we got on the dance floor too. I watch how they interact <laughs> with each other. I watch my own, my one oh. rule for them when I take them out is I, uh, and they all went, cause you and Nikki tell them before I even take them out. I say, what's the rule. They say no cell phones at the table. They go, right. And so, so then I just get to talk to them and, and, and see what they're interested in. And the reason why I'm saying all of this in regard to your lesson about leadership and following is because if I want to be able to lead this cohort when they're in the workforce in eight years, I need to know their language. And I'm not just going to learn their language if I start the moment that I need to learn the vocabulary. If I'm a bit invested in how they're growing up and how they're finishing high school, going through college, entering the workforce, picking up the things that they're doing along the way, I'm going to be able to speak their language a lot more fluently and be able to tell them, no, shut up young person and listen in the way that they'll actually understand and doesn't come across like that. Yeah. And a a lot of that I get from MRS. Well, thank you. That's, that's a funny part and a funny story. I had, you know, these, we're always so careful. We get as a charity basically sponsorship and donations to try to run the meeting and people don't want to go to kind of a small, simple hotel because they want to be able to enjoy the space, but that all takes money. So I called one of the meeting organizers at a, at a company and they said, I said, how much would it cost for someone to come and check people in and hand them their badge and they were like, that's $45,000. And I go, you got to be kidding me. I was like, all right, kids, get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? A, what a great way to have for a high school student to have some exposure to a professional event, be responsible for the, the happy customer and the customer that's being a little difficult. And one of them, you know, they still quote today was one of the doctors that said, this does not say doctor on the top of it. Can make me a new badge. And I was like, yep, this is customer service. You know, people want to make sure that they're, they're honored and they're whatever. And they had, and I want you to greet people and welcome them. And so we ended up having the, the high school interns have their exposure. A lot of them put them on college applications. And they said when they were applying, they used it as some of the things that they wrote about their experiences. But also for us, it allowed us to have some young people be very kind and welcoming and hang out with Griffin Jones, but also was a lot less expensive than the the company that wanted a big chunk of change to greet people. So (laughs) I'm glad that that economic 
well right? pushed that forward because yeah, it was they have a lot to learn, but I, there's also a lot that we can learn from them. That's one of the multi-generational values of yes. MRS. I encourage other people to do it as well. You have to be able to speak the language or you're going to get put out to pasture. There's another episode that I did with this, um, almost on this theme with Hannah Johnson, who I'm speaking with at MRS this year on millennials and Gen Z, but it, it's it's the flip side of the coin too. Dr. Beltos, how do you want to conclude on... MRS and collegiality and, and, or multi-generational collegiality in the field and, and tying that all together. I'll let you put the bow on that with final thoughts. Thank you for inviting me to speak at your podcast. It's always an honor and a privilege. And in that same context, I think the Midwest Reproductive Symposium International, that I at the end, is supposed to cross boundaries. It's supposed to take us that are wanting to to be taught from the learned to be open to different ages approaching similar topics from different perspectives. So we hope that the audience that is listening will bring themselves and their friends and their colleagues to our meeting, not only this year, hopefully in 2021, but in the years to come, and that the meeting allows us to grow, stand on the shoulders of giants, be a little uncomfortable with taking some of this stuff home and trying something new and continuing to be open to growing. And I always ask people, no matter where, how old they are, is like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, as we look to the future. And I think that, that, that spirit is embodied in, in MRSI. So with that, I appreciate again, the opportunity to be with you, to be motivated and inspired. Thank Angie, you. I'll see you at MRS in September, Woo-hoo! Inside Reproductive Health listeners. Thank we hope you. to see you at MRSI in September. We'll have a link in the show notes and we'll send that out with the email. Dr. Angeline Beltzos, thank you very much for coming back on to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.